How do we find real masculinity with Jesus hanging on a cross? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for April is titled Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. It's written by regular guest Pastor Jeff Hemmer. You can find out more at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Men in all stages of life will appreciate Man Up. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Man Up, 1-800-325-3040. We don't treat religion like a subject that we think influences the news and what influences what happens in the world. The God of Islam wants us to die for him. Jesus died for us. A conscience that's bound to anything other than God's word is enslaved to idolatry. When we do our own thing as a congregation, ignoring history, ignoring the divine liturgy's history and so forth, we have in a sense become an island unto itself. Topics you can really sink your teeth into. That's why Iowa dentists love issues, etc. Ask most Christians what they think of when they think of the Psalms in the Old Testament. Most will probably say, well, Psalm 23, that's the one that is probably most readily accessible, if not in some cases completely memorized. They might say, well, there's a lot of... A lot of them, aren't there? 150 of them, and the ones toward the end, well, they talk a lot about praising God. That word, alleluia, comes over and over and over again near the end of the Psalter. They might think poetry, too. Is there more to the Psalter, to all those psalms in the middle of the Old Testament, especially for Christian devotion, than mere poetry? Is it just kind of religious Walt Whitman? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're coming to you live on this Monday afternoon, April the 10th, for part six of our series on Christian devotion, How to Read the Psalms with Pastor Brian Wolf Miller. A little bit later, Dr. Ken Sherb will join us for the 60th part of our series on Martin Luther and the Reformation. We are concluding Luther's treatment of the Sermon on the Mount with Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' words about building a house on the rock rather than on sand. Pastor Ted Giese will review the movie The Case for Christ, and then we'll round everything off today talking about Palm Sunday and the bombings of two Coptic churches in Egypt. Raymond Ibrahim will join us, author of the book Crucified Again, Islam's New War on Christians. You can join us with questions or comments over the course of the next two hours. Our call in number 1-877-623-6943. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. And the Issues Etc. comment line, 618-223-8382. It's part six of our series on Christian devotion today, How to Read the Psalms. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Table Talk Radio, and author of the new resource, The Devotional Challenge Book. Brian, welcome back. Thank you. So some Christians are going to think a little more deeply about the Psalter, the Psalms, but most of them are going to say, well, it's poetry. It's the poetic section in the Old Testament. Is there more to the Psalter than mere poetry? Oh, heavens, yes. You know, Luther says that a, a theologian ought to be able to draw all the articles of faith from the Psalms. So that it's, uh, and now that it's in itself is really uh, a quite an amazing sort of thing, that the Psalms contained the whole counsel of God. 
in another place, in the, talking in the large catechism, Luther says that the whole Psalter is nothing more than a meditation on the first commandment. And there's an old tradition that breaks up all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer into the various different psalms. So the psalms are theological. They're teaching. They're instruction. They give us wisdom. They're, they also are the praise of God. Uh, that that the Lord Himself puts the proper praise into our mouths and teaches us how to pray. Uh, the Psalms speak of Christ. The Psalms speak of the Christian. The Psalms speak of the Church. They speak of the judgment of the wicked, the last day. They speak of God's creation and sustaining the world. They they teach us law and gospel. They forgive our sins and they comfort us in all sorts of distress. In fact, in fact, that's one of the greatest things of the Psalms is that it delivers the full comfort of the gospel. And the, and the hope of the resurrection to us in in kind of in very real and human and, and visceral terms. So the Psalms not only teach us about God, but they also teach us about our own humanity. Some of the clearest texts of our doctrine of repentance, of original sin, of the vicarious satisfaction, uh, of the death of Jesus in our place, and of justification by faith are in the Psalms. Well, the, the foundation of, of, of Lutheran theology, which people say that Luther had this introspective conscience, this terror looking for a gracious God, and they say that they got that from, he got that from reading Paul, but Luther found that in the Psalms, what it is to be terrified by sin and to be comforted in, in, the, in the gospel. So that over and over, our own dogmaticians, beginning with Luther and going forward, will articulate the faith in the Psalms. They're, 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 everything that the Lord has for us is there in the book of Psalms. And in this way, this book, the Psalms, becomes really the foundation and cornerstone of our Christian devotion. So they're not just the artsy part of the Bible. <laughs> no, 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 but they are also that. And that's, and that's one of the things that we want to come to grips with, I think, today, because oftentimes the Psalms are difficult for people because they are poems. And we, for whatever reason, are just—we're not used to poetry. We, just, we, we can barely handle reading history and, and kind of normal narrative, and when it gets to poetry, we kind of—at least I'll speak for myself—I get a little bit confounded. I always think that, you know, to be an educated person— to participate in the in the kind of cultural blessings that we've inherited, I ought to be able to read poetry. So then I go and I pick up a poetry book and I say, "What the heck is happening? I don't understand what's going on here." And and some of that happens with the Psalms. So today's challenge that we have is really me trying to wrestle through uh, a simple way to get my head around the Psalms. I thought, I, if you know, if the Lord is pleased to speak to us also in poetry then we better be able to read the Lord's poetry and get at what he's giving us there. Talk about the Psalms in addition to all of the things you mentioned there, and I think you're right to point out that they are doctrinally rich, um, exceedingly rich, but also they are prayers, and that kind of gets us into how we approach them in, in meditating on the Psalms, but they are prayers. Whose prayers are they? Well, this is the first question that I would suggest that we want to ask when we go to a psalm, is ask this, who is talking to whom? Because most of the psalms are prayers, and they are from the human to God. In other words, that, that's what a prayer is. It's speaking from us to God. A lot of times those prayers are individual. A lot of times those prayers are corporate. So, Lord, remember me, or Lord, deliver us. In other words, you can see the difference between the singular and the plural. So is it as a single sinner I'm coming to pray to the Lord, or as a congregation I'm coming to pray to the Lord? Now, sometimes the Psalms are simply God's word to us. It's a preaching, or sometimes it's a confession of faith of one Christian speaking to another Christian. Sometimes 
it's one Christian speaking to the unbelieving world, or the uh, the kind of the congregation of Christians speaking to the unbelieving world. And then in a few of the Psalms, and this is really wonderful, we see the conversation between the Holy Trinity, God speaking to God. Uh, so we have, for example, uh, uh, today, you are my son, today I have begotten you in Psalm 2. That's the Father speaking to the Son. Can you imagine that? We get insight into that holy conversation. Or uh, sit here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool from Psalm 110, verse 1. The Father speaking to the Son again. So so this question, who is talking to whom, is a is a really important first way to engage the text of the psalm. So we can understand if it's a prayer, or if it's a prophecy, or if it's a sermon, if it's a corporate or individual prayer, and so forth. So it's it's not an answer. There's not a single answer to that question in most cases. It is, it is the psalmist talking to God in prayer. It is Christ praying. Uh, these are all Christ's prayers in some sense or another. It is also my prayer and your prayer too. Yeah, that's right. A lot of it's a popular thing to say nowadays that the that the before the psalms or our prayers they belong to Christ. And enough people that I trust have said that that I'm inclined to think that it's true. I just don't know what it means yet. So I'm still working towards understanding that. And I don't think that to to have a fruitful use of the psalms, we have to totally have our head around that thing. I mean, maybe what's important out of that is when we see psalms like Psalm 22, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we rec- And Psalm 68, which is a reflection of Psalm 22, that we recognize that that prayer is a prayer of Jesus. And specifically, when he's praying that prayer, he's praying it in our place. In, in fact, the, the more we meditate on that, and this is the perfect time to do that during Holy Week, that's the, I mean, that verse, which is at the center of the crucifixion, the, the prayer of dereliction that Jesus cries out in darkness, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We realize that Jesus prays that so that we would never pray it. I mean, that, 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 that Jesus is forsaken by God so that we can have promises like, uh, you will never leave me or forsake me. Uh, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Even Jesus prays Psalm 22 so that we can pray Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. So, so in some places we see that the Psalms are in fact prayers that belong alone to Jesus, and they're given to us as a great gift and comfort uh, in the midst of our troubled lives. And then conversely, there are prayers that are primarily the psalmists and ours that Christ takes by virtue of his substitution for us, where he says something like, in sin did my mother conceive me, certainly not true of Christ himself, but, but made true in that he bore our sin. Yeah, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that he, so, you know, the, one of the things that we notice when we begin to engage uh, the Psalms is that they cover the whole, whole human condition. I mean, not only do they cover every emotion, which they do. I mean, there's, there's exceeding joy, there's depth, sadness, there's fear, there's anger, there's horror, there's rage. It's all there. But then all the different conditions of life in which we find ourselves. And that Jesus, in his taking upon our human flesh and our sin, he has all of those things as well, so that he's tempted like us in every way, so that he can sympathize with us as, as he serves as our high priest to intercede on our behalf. An- another question that you think is helpful to pose when meditating on the Psalms, and we'll get into it more on the other side of the break, is what is the image? What are you talking about there, Brian? Yeah, so to recognize this, that poetry is chiefly speaking to us in pictures. 
And this is, I don't know why it's so hard for me. I'm kind of a knucklehead. Everyone listening is going to say, well, of course, that's just how you read poetry. You, you're an absolute moron that this is such a big insight for you. But I'll concede that, and, and if the, there's anyone else that needs this help, they can rejoice in this with me, is that when we go to the Psalms, after we figure out who's speaking to whom, then we say, well, what's the picture? What's the image that the psalm is putting in front of me? And chiefly, there's two realms from which the images are drawn. Mostly it's from a life in a village or life in a farm. And secondly, they're the images of the temple. Sometimes there's images of war, of commerce, and this sort of thing. But it's speaking to us in pictures. And so to engage in the psalm, in the poetry, any poetry really, but especially the psalms, we have to imagine and get our heads around the picture that's being painted for us and then we can start to see what the psalm is giving to us, what, what insight, what wisdom, and what comfort. We're going to talk more about that on the other side of the break with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller. That is simply kind of Bible reading 101, understanding the genre of literature you're dealing with. And then when these images occur, as they often do, almost always do, in the psalms as we meditate upon them, to understand what they are saying a little bit like reading the parables. We'll talk about that after this. Are you in the Chicagoland area? Do you want to go to a movie? Come see Martin Luther, The Idea That Changed the World on Thursday, April 27th at the Movie Co. Movie Theater in Rosemont, Illinois. This event is being hosted by St. John's Lutheran Church, Chicago, and tickets must be purchased in advance. Go to stjohnchicago.org and click the Martin Luther movie icon on the right. That's stjohnchicago.org to purchase tickets to the movie, Martin Luther, the idea that changed the world. Tired of mommy bloggers telling you Lent is about simplifying your life? Totally over the History Channel speculating on whether or not Jesus' skin was olive or white? Check out the April The Lutheran Witness. We're talking Lent, Easter, and Jesus, who hangs on a cross for you, lies in a tomb for you, and is risen and returning all for you. Visit cph.org slash try Lutheran Witness for a special offer of six issues for $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. Lutheranism in the Public Square. You're listening to Issues Etc. Located 10 minutes north of Worcester in the heart of liberal Massachusetts, Trinity Lutheran Church in Clinton is a solid, orthodox, confessional, liturgical outpost of the Missouri Synod, where God's Word is not changed to agree with the latest social trend. No megachurch fog here, just the law and gospel, every Sunday at 10 a.m., Come join us and check us out at TrinityLutheranClintonMA.org. The world may tell us that Easter is about eggs and chocolate bunnies, but we Christians know that there would be no Easter without Jesus' death and resurrection. Emmanuel Press has just released an Easter card with beautiful artwork that confesses Christ's victory over death and his redemption of mankind. You can find this card and others at emmanuelpress.us, E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L press.us. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, and author of the new resource, The Devotional Challenge Book. 
We're talking about how to read the Psalms as part of our series on Christian devotion. Brian, that, before the break, you were talking about what is the image, that question that we find so often in the Psalms. And it's a little bit like reading the parables, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, the parables, um, they tell us a story. So uh, when we're dealing with parables, we know we're not dealing with uh, historic realities. We're dealing, Jesus is, is giving us a, a narrative it's a story, and it's got characters, and it's got parts, and it's got a point. You know, it's driving towards a point. Now, one of the differences when we engage with the Psalms is oftentimes the, it'll it'll give us a picture, but there might not be even moving parts in it. And so we gotta we gotta grab a hold of the image and figure out who's doing what in the picture, and 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 try to push at it that way. And a lot of times the images will build on on one another. They'll move from one to the other, and then back. They'll interact. They'll switch out. Uh, different pictures, but the but the basic point here, and again, you pointed out before the break, which I appreciate. I mean, this is Bible reading 101. It's kind of embarrassing that for me, this is such a, a profound insight. But that that if I'm not if I miss the picture, I'm I, I'm I miss the comfort. I miss the psalm. It it also happens, by the way, that that Paul talks in pictures as well. I mean, really, the whole the whole of language is dealing in in images. But when Paul talks, just as an example about the uh, about the armor of God. He's painting the picture of a century, and you're looking at it and meditating on it and considering what these things mean, the breastplate of righteousness and the and the belt of truth and so forth. Well, the same thing's happening in the Psalms is that they're they're painting an image, and as we meditate on the image, then we'll start to start to see it. Now, the, one of the troubles that we have is that maybe we have some distance between us and the image. So, for example, to use the preaching of Isaiah, who says, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Well, we're supposed to get the picture of a lamb before its shearers, and we're supposed to understand how when a shearer holds the lamb upside down, it, it sulks and it doesn't say anything. It just kind of lays there on its back and lets you take all the skin off, and that's supposed to inform us of how Jesus is. Well, we, you know, sometimes we go the opposite. I've never seen a lamb being sheared, and so the reason I know lambs are quiet is because I know the passion of Jesus, and that's the image going the wrong direction. So as much as we can, we want to see the image, understand the image, and then we can understand what the Lord is trying to teach us there. Now, th- there are some images in the Psalms that are exceedingly difficult, and they are the violent images. We talk here about the imprecatory Psalms, those Psalms wherein the, the psalmist is praying God's judgment, often violent judgment on his enemies. How do we deal with those? Well, I think the key for the, the what are called the imprecatory psalms. I mean, those psalms where we're you know praying for babies to be thrown over walls and for the Lord's wrath to be visited on the enemy uh, is it probably is taught to us from Paul and and Paul teaching us Moses. Where in Deuteronomy, uh, the Lord says, "Vengeance is mine," says the Lord, and and Paul takes that up in Romans and he says, "Leave room for wrath." So there is the understanding that in this life we'll be sinned against. We'll be sinned against. Our loved ones will be sinned against. The Christian church will be sinned against. I mean, today we're reeling as we feel the pain of our brothers and sisters who gathered in Egypt for church yesterday, for Palm Sunday, and they were bombed. I mean, this is just absolutely horrible, and we our heart breaks for this. And we cry out to the Lord for vengeance, but we realize that in this life, especially for the church, that vengeance belongs to the Lord. And if we go to execute vengeance... Then we, that we're not leaving room for the Lord's wrath or even for the Lord's work. We're taking it upon ourselves. 
So these imprecatory psalms say, well, what do you do when you are afflicted, when you are tormented, when, when the devil and his friends rise up against you and your family and your loved ones? Do you take up stones to, to throw at people? Do you take up weapons to fight against them? No. The Christian, in fact, takes up the psalms and, and expresses their anger to the Lord and says, Lord, uh, your will be done. These wicked things have happened. Now you've promised to protect the church and defend your people. Keep your promises here. There's, you said before that the, the Psalter covers every facet of life, not only emotions, but circumstances that the Christian faces. And they're very human and very down to earth. They also have a, a thoroughly accurate anthropology, so to speak. The, the, the psalmist often speaks as both old man and he is certainly the Christian, as you point out. This is, these are spoken by and for Christians. But he is at the same time the old man and the new man. He expresses anger and doubt and all of those kinds of things. Talk about that. I, I think it's so comforting to know. I mean, one of the things that the devil uh, wants us to think is that when we're alone in our sin, and, and oftentimes this has to do with emotional sin, so doubt, anger, unbelief, despair, um, loneliness, all these kind of emotional sins, that the devil wants to, to think that we are the only ones and that all the other Christians around us are just doing great. You know, their life of prayer is phenomenal. Their devotional life is sound. Their, their emotions are, are always full of thankfulness and joy and praise to the Lord and, and, and that I'm the only one that feels like this. And the Psalms come along and give us this great comfort that Peter teaches that there's no temptation, or Paul uh, in Corinthians, there's no temptation that's come to you that's not common amongst all people. And the Psalms demonstrate it. So you see uh, David crying out, how long, O Lord? In fact, in fact, Moses, I, I think this is interesting, I think there's seven or eight different authors of the Psalms, and all, all of them except for Solomon have a how long Psalm, including Moses. How long, O Lord? So that when the Christian is there thinking, how long is the Lord going to let this suffering go on, that we can open up the Psalms and say, hey, uh, this doesn't mean you're not a Christian, that you're thinking these things, that you're praying these things, that you're wondering these things. Look at all your brothers in Christ prayed these things thousands of years ago. And the Lord was pleased, in fact, to have them written down for you. So we have the great comfort uh, that we're not alone in all of this. Talk about the Psalms as, and I think you mentioned this a little bit before, Psalms as each of them, to varying degrees, being sermons of law and gospel to the Christian who meditates on them. Well, we have, I mean, the easiest way to see this is to just take up Galatians and, uh, and Romans and see how many psalms are quoted there. And it's really wonderful. Psalms, I mean, we, we even have it in, in our Confession and Absolution and in the liturgy. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old for their groaning all the day long. But I confessed my sin unto thee, and thou forgave the iniquity of my sin. Psalm 32. Or, uh, or, or Psalm, uh, no, that's a different Psalm. Psalm 32 is, uh, if, uh, Lord, if you counted iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Oh, now I'm getting all my Psalms mixed up. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. So that the Lord, so that the Psalms are always preaching to us repentance, that is contrition and faith. The greatest of this is Psalm 51. It's a, Psalm 51 is such an absolute treasure. We sing it every day after this, after we hear a sermon. Create in me a clean heart, O God. This asking for the for the holy, free, and life giving Spirit, uh, and it starts. And that's the Psalm where we have the original sin and sin. My uh, my mother conceived me against you, and you only have I sinned. That's the confession of King David 
when Nathan comes to him and exposes his sin with Bathsheba and with and the, with the murder of Uriah and this whole big thing, and we have the we have David's heart poured out in conf, in confession and in faith, and we get to see it, and we get to pray with David that the Lord would also come and forgive our sins. A, a couple more questions before we get into kind of some practical. How do you begin when there are 150 of them sitting in front of you? <laughs> I think a lot of times what Christians will use them as when they turn to the Psalms is, okay, I start with my life circumstance. Now I'm going to go find a Psalm that says what I want it to say, or that applies to the circumstances I'm facing right now. While that certainly can be done, what is the value of, say, following an ordered reading of the Psalms and letting the Psalms tell you what to pray for? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we... um it's kind of like when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, what do we pray for? And so we don't, we're not letting the prayers kind of bubble up out of the depravity of our own hearts, but rather from the rich, pour out from the richness of the Lord's Word. And that's true also in the Psalms. A lot of times in life, you know, we, the Psalms are there for us, and we need them in particular things, you know. The, out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord, or uh, you, you, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, or, you know, the uh, the ch- children are an inheritance from the Lord. There's all these psalms that especially pastors have in their back pocket to pray at various different occasions. But there's a great benefit to simply working through the Psalter, praying a psalm a day or a part of a psalm a day, and letting it first preach to us, first give us instruction. So we're not trying to instruct the Lord on how we should pray, but we're letting the Lord instruct us and teach us uh, how we ought to take up his word to pray. And that's and, and so the Psalms are doing that. And so I think there's a great benefit in doing exactly as you suggested, and simply letting the Psalms set the agenda for us, rather than, than we come with our great wisdom trying to set the agenda for the Psalms. Does that also mean, before we take this break, that when I open the Psalms and I find the psalmist pouring out his heart in obvious anguish or exulting with great uh, joy in praise of the Lord, I don't have to match his original emotion. I think a guy like you likes the idea of imputed emotion, Todd. You know, yes. That the psalmist can have the emotions for <laughs> That's true. Uh, but there's something here. And it's, uh, uh, this is, I think, one of the chief challenges of the Psalms, is that the Psalms assume that we have enemies. The Psalms assume that we're being assaulted. The Psalms assume that we're living a life of trouble. And whenever we think that everything is just great, we're just rolling along just fantastic, you know, we're singing with the Lego movie, um, everything is awesome, this kind of thing, then the Psalms don't make any sense. So the Psalms, one of the first things the Psalms invite us to reflect upon is what is our trouble in this life? And we realize that they're multitude. I mean, we have the world and the flesh and the devil constantly after us. And and sometimes they mask their assaults so that we don't feel them. But they are there. And so we learn from the Psalms to recognize them rightly, uh, to engage with them both internally and externally, and to trust in the Lord in the midst of this life, which is, as Jesus promised, full of trouble. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller is our guest. It's part six of our series on Christian devotion, how to read the Psalms today. Pastor Wolfmiller will be making the case for the Jesus for you of the Reformation at the Winter Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, November the 10th and Saturday, November the 11th in Houston, Texas. Now, since our annual summer conference has been sold out the last two years, we've added a second Making the Case Conference this year. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conferences are the premier conferences for Christian laity. We had a question on the website as whether these are pastors' conferences and lay people can also attend. No, they're primarily 
for the laity and pastors can also attend if they want to. For more information, call 618-223-8385 or visit issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Making the Case conferences June 9th and 10th in Collinsville, Illinois, and November 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. When we come back from the break, Pastor Brian Wolfmiller will be with us for about another 10 minutes. We come to the question of where do you begin? There are 150 psalms, some long, some short. How do you start? We'll be right back. We Lutherans, we're never aided by following along with some other traditions, theological priorities, and catchphrases. Issues Etc. regular guest, Pastor Heath Curtis, coordinator for stewardship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod on a Lutheran approach to stewardship. Other folks are not approaching it from our good, solid Lutheran understanding of law and gospel and vocation. There's a place to talk about this in Christianity, and we have a way of talking about stewardship as Lutherans without ever using the word stewardship, if you like. I'm going to talk to you today about your vocation in your home, in your church, in your society, and how each one of these makes a claim on you, on your presence, on your support, on your prayers. That's how we should talk about this as Lutherans. You'll find several stewardship resources at lcms.org slash stewardship, lcms.org slash stewardship. Listen to the best of the church's music for the season of Lent at lutheranpublicradio.org. Sacred Music for the Season of Lent, LutheranPublicRadio.org. The 500th anniversary of the Reformation approaches. A good time to ask, who are we as confessional Lutherans? What's our heritage? The Confessional Lutherans for Christ's Commission has produced the Layman's Guide to Theological History. Go to the CLCC.org and see which of these presentations and books would be most helpful to you and your fellow parishioners. And consider becoming a member with us as the CLCC seeks to help more people know what it means to be a confessional Lutheran. The CLCC.org. Expert guests. Expansive topics. Extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois, engages young adults in a Christ-centered environment delivering academic excellence and spiritual growth to develop Christian leaders for tomorrow. We provide a Christ-focused alternative to public high schools. Many of our students receive tuition assistance. To help us provide tuition assistance to more students, go to melhs.org and click on the giving page. Or call me, Dr. J. Krause, Principal, at 618-656-0043. I bet you didn't know that the teaching of Latin in schools is making a comeback. Latin? Really? Isn't that a dead language? Well, take a look at what studies say about how well Latin students do on a test like the SAT. Memoria Press's Latin program will revolutionize your students' vocabulary, knowledge, and their understanding of grammar. And there is no better subject for teaching critical thinking skills. Visit memoriapress.com and save $5 on your next order by using the coupon code LPR.
Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Welcome back. Dr. Brian Wolf Miller is our guest. Part six of our series on Christian devotion today: How to read the Psalms. All right, Brian. There are 150 of them. Some of them are easy to handle. They're pretty self-explanatory. Some of them are very, very difficult. How do you begin? I mean, it's easy to say meditate on the Psalms. Where do you begin? Yeah, I suggested, I kind of came at it from three different angles in the book. So this week, if you're following along in week six of the Devotional Challenge book, I just picked six or seven fairly full of imagery, fairly straightforward psalms and kind of worked through them. Psalm 1, Psalm 23, Psalm 46, Psalm 76, Psalm 121, 130, and 142. So uh, so some popular psalms. Then the next week, I, I started just at one verse of Psalm 27. I picked some less popular ones for week eight, and then at week nine, I just started going from Psalm one and working my way through it. There's a lot of different ways to do it. In fact, I was looking at the the old hymnal, TLH, has about seven different ways to get into the Psalms. They have a list of the Psalms said all in one month. They have another list, seven different Psalms for each each week of the church year, another list that has two Psalms for each Sunday, another list that has the Psalms by by characteristic. But I mean, I think the easiest way is just to just, I mean, just pick a psalm and just go. You read a psalm a day or a psalm in the morning and a psalm in the evening and meditate on it and, and, and let it inform your prayers. Uh, there's, no, there's no real right or wrong here. Uh, this, this is just kind of gift after gift after gift that the Lord has. Uh, so whatever, you know, whatever, whatever is helpful to, in your reading, I'd say, you know, go for that. So if, if you don't have the book, if you just want to start reading the Psalms, I mean, start at one and go forward or start at 150 and go backward or, you know, st- uh, take the introit from the church service on Sunday and, and read a little bit of it all through the week. There, um, all of it will be beneficial. Is it helpful to realize, and I think a lot of Christians simply aren't aware of the fact, that the Psalter, that is the whole book that is the 150 Psalms, is in fact organized. It's it's roughly organized, but it is organized, isn't it? Yeah, I found a nice uh, uh, image of that somewhere. I have to put it up on the website and see if we can link to it. That that gives um that gives a picture. There's five books of Psalms, so it's not one book. There's there's five uh, major divisions in that, and a lot of times they'll they'll be kind of categories where they'll be lumped together. So you have right around Psalm uh, 120, you have the uh, Hallel Psalms where they're going up, the Songs of Ascent where they're going up to Jerusalem. Uh, the last eight of the Psalms are the praise songs, also used in in festival. And one of the when I originally had my How do you read the Psalms? I had six questions. I, I boiled it down to these two, who's talking to whom and what's the picture? But but it's also helpful, you know, some of the other ones are, uh, what's the structure of the psalm? How has the psalm been used in the New Testament? And how has the psalm been used in the church? There's a couple of Sundays, for example, in the middle of the Trinity season that pick up on Psalm 25 and the themes there. Uh, psalm 95 is the Venite. It's used every time the church gets together in in matins. Uh, psalm 130 is often there uh, during the season of Lent, the De Profundis. Psalm 22 plays a huge part already last Sunday in the introit and coming into Good Friday. So the, the church's use of the psalms also informs us about the use of the psalms. But, you know, that's, you know, that's, a, that, that's down the road. The, the baby step is just to read the thing and to say, well, who's talking to whom? Let me get that under. Is it a sermon? Is it God talking to God? Is it a prayer? 
And what's the picture? And that's really the low-hanging fruit that's there for us. So the, the images that we find in the Psalms, just uh, uh, we talked about them before, but uh, take us a little farther into that topic. Yeah, I mean, so to, just to imagine how that works. You know, one of the reasons why, for example, Psalm 23 is such a beautiful psalm is because of the imagery of it. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay, who's talking to whom? That's a, that's a single person talking, confessing their faith. The Lord is my shepherd. And then, and, and so, so who am I in this picture? If the Lord's my shepherd, then I'm a sheep. So, so the, so this is the prayer of a sheep. And then it says, and it says this about my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So I'm not a hungry sheep, a famished sheep, a starving sheep. I'm a sheep that has everything that it needs. And it, and it, it's given to me here. Uh, he leads me beside the still waters. He, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Uh, uh the, his rod and his staff, they comfort me. So, so you can imagine the sheep resting there in the midst of green grass as the water is there that they need it and looking at the shepherd and seeing the shepherd's staff there that he's seen wielded for his benefit and having that great contentment. You see, the psalm invites us into that picture and into that image. Or, or the De Profundis, which we mentioned before, the Psalm 130, out of the depths I have cried unto thee, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. That's the, it's the picture of a person who's fallen down into a pit Imagine a dry well, and you're these are all over the ancient world, uh, and you're walking around, and you don't see it, and you fall, and you slide down, and you're down in this pit, and you're sinking. You know the mud is coming up to your waist, and you're and it's rising there, and and it's and it's dark, and it's cold, and you're and there's nothing to help, there's nothing to grab onto. You can just see the light coming in from the pit, and 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 all you can do is cry out to help. Uh, th th this is the picture of the psalm. And when we can see the picture, then we can understand how now it's the Lord who who comes down and into the pit, and he lifts us up out of it. Or the great Reformation, Psalm 46, the Lord is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The picture is, if you can imagine that you're living outside of a castle, and here you are, you know, you've got your little farm, and you've got your wood house with your thatched roof, and but you hear coming over the hill the, the armies of the enemy, and you have nothing. You, you're you're going to be destroyed. Everything you have is going to be set on fire along with you unless you can make it to the castle. And so you gather up your family and a couple of things and you're running. You're running along the uh, along the uh, the road to to get to the to the castle and the armies are coming and you hear the war cries behind you and you're growing more and more afraid until finally you pass under the shadow of that door and you come into the refuge of the castle and now you're safe. You're, you're going to make it. You're going to live. Uh, the, your Lord is going to protect you, and he's going to fight for you, and he's going to close the door behind you, and he's going to fight off the enemies. That's the picture of the Lord is my refuge, my stronghold, my sure defense, my shield. And so the picture there is preaching all of these things, who we are and who the Lord is and, and what he does for us. And it's meditating on those images that the Lord delivers to us the comfort of the Psalms the comfort and the peace that they're, they're there to give to us. Then, as we wind this down, there's kind of a lifetime's work here, Brian. I mean, 150 is a lot. It's not completely unmanageable. And I'm sure if someone set a schedule, they could go through the Psalter twice a year without too much trouble. But it is also one of those parts of Scripture, the depths of which you'll never really be able to fully plumb. Talk about that. 
Well, that's true. I mean, I think you could probably just say that of the first psalm itself, much less all 150 of them. I mean, when we start to meditate on the picture of the the tree planted by the still waters versus the chaff that's that's blown away, and and the psalms tells us that that this is the blessing, this tree planted by the water whose leaves never wither and whose fruit comes forth in its season, that this is a picture of the one who meditates on the Lord's word day and night, then we know that the Psalms themselves are, are setting us to a lifetime of blessing that come from this, the words of the Psalms themselves. So that the very first Psalm gives us the picture of this tree, that everything that we do prospers. Of the person who meditates day and night on the Lord's word, and by considering these psalms, and letting the picture kind of be painted for us by the words, and and rejoicing in the the wisdom and instruction and comfort that they give, it's not only a lifetime of work, but it is a lifetime of blessing. And I think that the blessing of meditating on the psalms is not only for this life, but will extend even into the resurrection and the life to come when we praise the Lord with these same words that he teaches us to pray in this life. Pastor Brian Wolf Miller is pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado, co-host of a weekly radio talk show called Table Talk Radio and author of the new devotional resource called The Devotion Challenge Book. You can download it for free at issuesetc.org and click Listen On Demand. Brian, thank you very much. You got it. We are coming to the end of Luther's treatment of the Sermon on the Mount with Pastor Ken Sherb on the other side of the break. It's the last few verses, five verses, of Matthew 7, where Jesus has an image of his own, a house built on a rock or on sand. We'll find out what it means through the pen of Luther after this. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. At Concordia University, Irvine, you can pursue advanced theological study for academic, professional, or personal development. Concordia's Master of Arts in Theology program is grounded in the truth of Scripture and insights from the Lutheran Confessions. Courses are taught online and at intensive on-campus sessions in the summer. Apologetics, Christian education leadership, and Reformation studies are just a few of the emphases offered. For more information, visit cui.edu slash theology. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Christian faith is a gift of God's grace. The Christian life is a gift of God's grace. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Pastor Peter Bender talking about his presentation at this summer's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. And that means that our Lutheran piety is also a gift. All too often we see it as another work of the law, something that we must do. Instead, Christ meets us there with his word and spirit. And in our daily devotional life, he teaches us what it is to live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. 
You can meet and hear Pastor Peter Bender making the case for Lutheran piety Friday, June 9th and Saturday, June 10th at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference in Collinsville, Illinois. For more information, visit issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. The Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference.